Welcome to another episode of Bitfinex Talks. I'm your host, Ricardo Martinez. Today, my guest is Samson Mao, CEO of Jan3. Samson, how are you today? I'm good, Ricardo. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Um, Samson, the reason I asked you to come on the show is because you have been extremely busy um, undertaking the goal of nation-state adoption for Bitcoin. Um, you kind of started out in El Salvador, and we've seen the progress that El Salvador has made as far as uh, making Bitcoin legal tender, coming out with the securities law for, for altcoins and stuff like that. Um, recently, you've been in the headlines because you traveled to Costa Rica and, and more recently to Mexico. Um, my first question for you is, what is nation-state adoption, and how do you feel that it fits in with the hyper-Bitcoinization narrative? Nation-state Bitcoin adoption is simply when a country decides to embrace Bitcoin. And they can do this in a number of ways. So we've seen um, a lot of examples in the past few years. We've seen El Salvador come out with uh, Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, Prospera in Honduras has also made Bitcoin legal tender. Madeira, the president of Madeira came to Miami last year and they announced that they would be adopting Bitcoin. Now they're a autonomous region of Portugal, so they cannot have their own monetary laws, but they're looking to embrace and adopt Bitcoin on their own level and doing it in their, their own way. So basically every country has their own way to adopt Bitcoin. Some countries have a simpler path forward. They can uh, simply recognize Bitcoin as foreign currency. Um, for example, Guatemala, they have a law called divisas, which they don't need to change their legal structure or anything. They just simply need to acknowledge that Bitcoin is a uh, foreign currency, which it is. It's the currency of El Salvador. So they would just need to simply say, uh, either the regulator, the central bank, or president, just say Bitcoin is foreign currency. It's usable in Guatemala. It's that simple. So you also have city-states. Uh, adopting Bitcoin too. As you know, Lugano is a big uh, a proponent of Bitcoin. Uh, the mayor there, Michel Folletti, he's been doing a lot of work with Paolo and the team to uh, roll out Bitcoin adoption in that city. So there's a lot of ways that uh, cities, states, and any region can adopt Bitcoin. And that's something that we hope to push forward at Gen3. A lot of like the more diehard Bitcoin maximalists, kind of cypherpunk Bitcoiners, um, kind of criticize this push of, of nation-state adoption. Um, they would rather see like grassroots from the bottom-up adoption. What would you say to people who are critical of a government kind of imposing Bitcoin from the top down? Well, I think uh, the grassroots adoption is needed. So we've seen these initiatives fail when there is no grassroots support. And I think you need both things. So without the nation state level adoption, without some change in the laws or uh, legal structure, it is difficult for uh, more mainstream adoption of Bitcoin. So grassroots initiatives can flourish, of course, but there are usually laws that limit the adoption of Bitcoin in some form or fashion. So for example, capital gains. By making Bitcoin legal tender, there is no cap gains on Bitcoin, which means it is simply money. And these types of changes simply won't happen without engagement at the government level or with governments and politicians. So I think it's important to have both. Uh, we like to support both. We like to support the grassroots initiative, Bitcoin Beach, uh, Bitcoin Jungle, et cetera, et cetera. 
But we also think it's worth reaching out to government officials and politicians and educating them about what Bitcoin is and how it fits into the grander scheme of things. And I think these two initiatives together lets us accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization and faster adoption of Bitcoin. Your most recent trip was in Mexico. Uh, I understand you met with a bunch of government officials, uh, the pro-Bitcoin congresswoman, Indira Kempis. Uh, how did your trip go? Can, can you talk about it at all? Yeah, I would say it's a success. We didn't have um, the expectation that we'd have this many meetings, but there was a great deal of interest in Bitcoin. So the genesis of the trip was Senator Indira Kempis invited me to go and speak at Congress and um, talk about Bitcoin. And uh, then a few other Bitcoiners on the ground, uh, Manuel and Andres, they started lining up additional meetings through their network. So it, it became a, a bigger trip than we thought it would be originally. And <laughs> we had a number of meetings. We met with politicians from every party. Uh, we met with the, uh, Senator Astorja. He is the chair of the Treasury Committee. So that was a pretty important meeting. But there were a lot of meetings, and I would say there's a lot of interest in Bitcoin. And it's just a matter of time now. But I would just uh, preface that with, you know, things will take time because you have to educate a lot of people from nearly nothing, right? You have to explain uh, all the workings of Bitcoin, how it plays in with the economy, uh, what it is technologically, the potential economic benefits, and of course, you have to address a lot of the FUD. There are concerns about Bitcoin, and some of those are very old concerns that date back numerous years, just from what the mainstream media is saying. What do the Mexican officials like? What's their opinion on El Salvador? Like, how are they viewing El Salvador's current uh, experiment? Uh, they're definitely interested in what's happening there, and I like to frame it to them like, if Bitcoin can do this for a small country of six million. What could it do for your country? So Mexico, I think, is 200-something million. It, it would have a far larger impact. But um, I try to bring it down to what it directly would do for them rather than talk too much about El Salvador, just so that um, we can relate to what they're concerned about, right? And one of the things that Mexico, and at least in Deer Compass and people I talk to are concerned about is the um, uh, banking of the unbanked or financial inclusion. So I like to talk about how Bitcoin can solve that problem because the only reason you have unbanked is because there is a two-tiered financial system. Either you're allowed to use it or not allowed to use it. It kind of breaks down to that level, right? So Bitcoin being permissionless and simply information, it allows anybody to access the financial system. And I think this is an important uh, thing for them to bring to the table because there's uh, 60 some odd million Mexicans that are not connected to the financial system in any way. And the only way to fix that is with Bitcoin, right? Because if they could have fixed it with getting people bank accounts, they would have done that. If it could have been fixed with the CBDC, they could have also fixed it with just traditional banking access, but it's not that simple, right? So at the end of the day, Bitcoin is the only way to solve this, uh, this problem and bring people into the financial system and get them included. What about Costa Rica? You were also in Costa Rica and you kind of did the same thing you did in Mexico where you met with a bunch of government representatives and stuff like that. Um, are they bullish on Bitcoin or, or are they still kind of reserved? Um, I would still say it's early and the discussions are still quite basic. We're not you know, going into the 
the depths of the rabbit hole just yet, but it is encouraging. We met with um, with uh, Ise, their national utility as well, and that was probably one of the more interesting discussions we had because they're opening up to the idea of mining using their excess energy. And as you know, Costa Rica has a, a lot of excess uh, hydropower, and they're planning to expand that their hydropower production capabilities as well for the next few years. They, I think they need to double essentially the entire uh, hydropower production grid of Costa Rica in just a few years' time. So we talked to them about um, expanding on those mining uh, initiatives. They, they're working with one data center, uh, one mining facility called Data Center Plus um, by this gentleman called Eduardo. And this is essentially their pilot project. They had to um, curtail and shut down hydro plants, but um, simply that was due to lack of demand for energy during the COVID crisis or the COVID plan. But um, this uh, Bitcoin mining basically let this uh, data center, this mining farm, um, continue to operate. So what they would do is just mine Bitcoin and sell that. And I think Issei caught on to that and they're starting to understand that there is this massive transformation right now, which is that energy is money. So you don't need to necessarily send that energy somewhere else and transmit it to your neighbor and sell it to your neighbor. You can simply use it, turn it into Bitcoin and sell the Bitcoin. And I think this is very interesting for them because they have still additional hydro plants that have been shut down and they could potentially reopen those. But um, Bitcoin can help them stabilize their grid too by introducing a base level demand across the board. Um, but um, I think this is also interesting for the government as well, because if they need to expand their energy production, then Bitcoin mining and these public-private types of ventures could be a way for them to access capital or even doing something like a Bitcoin bond. In this case, it would be a hydro bond. Um, so they could raise a lot of capital using digital securities like um, the Volcano token in El Salvador. And they could use that to buy Bitcoin and finance the infrastructure build-out and mining build-out. You mentioned that Costa Rica is, is very interested in mining uh, because they have a lot of uh, surplus energy and a lot of renewable energy. What about Mexico? Did Mexico, the, the officials in Mexico, like express interest in, in making a hospitable climate for the mining industry? I know their digital asset law is kind of restrictive, I guess, in regards to like Bitcoin regulation. What about mining? Well, I don't think they passed it yet. It, they did have some digital asset law, but it was it's tabled for now. That's my understanding. But um, when we brought it up, it was an interesting point. But again, I just want to uh, you know, put the disclaimer out there that these are early discussions still. But there was definitely a lot of interest in the potential for what this could do for Mexico, because Mexico is also in energy rich. Um, they probably have a, a far different mix of energy than Costa Rica, but they're still very energy rich. So it's just the choice if they want to tap into that and use it for something like a, a Bitcoin bond or to mine for themselves. But I would say different countries probably have different avenues to Bitcoin adoption. Some countries can do a Bitcoin type law more easily than others. Um, Costa Rica, I think the way there is to start with simply mining because the national utility is already familiar with it and they already have a pilot project. So it's simply a matter of expanding upon that for Mexico, I'm not sure if mining would be the simplest way in the door. That's why when I spoke at um, the Mexican Senate, I gave them three points. And my first point was simply buy Bitcoin and store it as a treasury asset, because I think that would be the simpler way to go. 
Um, but there are other ways that we can adopt Bitcoin. So Mexico, in, in Mexico, the municipalities actually have a great deal of autonomy. So we're talking with some of those Bitcoiners on the ground to roll out a plan there to engage with some of those municipalities. But potentially it could be a municipality mining Bitcoin before Mexico proper is mining Bitcoin. After visiting El Salvador and then also making these uh, missions to, to Mexico and Costa Rica, what differences have you noticed in like the attitudes towards adoption? Obviously, El Salvador is way ahead when it comes to the levels of adoption. But um, like, how would you characterize the differences between the three nation states and, and their um, progress in adopting Bitcoin? The, the bigger the country is, the slower they're likely to move. It's just how it works, right? So I would say the level of interest in Costa Rica and Mexico is similar, but in Mexico, you have the benefit of um, India Campus that is really pushing that agenda and talking about Bitcoin often, right? So far, we don't have a, a politician in Costa Rica yet that is doing that, but I think that's going to come. But, um, you know, Costa Rica's able to move faster i believe and they have an avenue to do so with their uh, national national utility so it's likely they could be uh, a faster mover but there are other countries interested to do this type of hydro bond we've been talking to some people in ecuador as well so the question is uh, who's going to get to be first to do a hydro bond it could be costa rica it could be ecuador with costa rica's proximity to el salvador would you say that they have like a like a, a more positive view of of what's going on in el salvador as far as adoption goes or would you say that um they're kind of like mexico where they're watching it from afar and they're interested but um they may or may not be positive yet well i don't think proximity is necessarily that important um but i i just think for costa rica it's definitely easier for them to do so simply because they have the energy excess energy uh, Mexico, the energy system is a bit more complex. And also Mexico has a very uh, strong central bank with uh, anti-Bitcoin inclinations. So we'll have to see how it goes there. That's why I think it'll be harder for Mexico. Simply it's bigger, more established, and there's going to be a lot more uh, mechanisms that are going to be hindering adoption like the central bank there. But we have to see, like, this is one of the things that we're looking at. What can Mexico do um, to hold Bitcoin without the necessary approval of the central bank? Could, or can it be framed that this is simply uh, a commodity and the central bank can hold this commodity? And it's not about Bitcoin legal tender, but simply keeping Bitcoin as an asset. But um, I think uh, in terms of proximity to El Salvador, uh, Guatemala seems very ripe to me um, for Bitcoin adoption, both because... Um, of uh, the proximity to El Salvador, but also because of the inclinations towards using Bitcoin and the ease at which they can actually implement something due to their foreign currency law. Both Costa Rica and Guatemala have a circular Bitcoin economy projects. There's Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala, and then there's also Bitcoin Jungle in Costa Rica. Um, did, did you actually visit Guatemala or ju just yeah. Costa Rica? Oh, okay. Did you get a chance to make it this to either? Trip, but um, at Tixan, I didn't get a chance to go. I had a very short trip. So I went to Guatemala last year, I think, and it was to meet mm -hmm. with the central bank and other politicians, but I didn't get a chance to go to the lake. The problem is like okay. all these um, Bitcoin locations are a bit far away, like the Bitcoin jungle. I did get to go, but it was a bit of a stretch to get out there, right? We had to take a helicopter <laughs> in order to make our schedule work. But um, 
all of these little Bitcoin adoption hubs are kind of far away from the, the main city. Um, but uh, I would just say one comment there about the, the term circular economy. So this is something I think I coined in like 2017. And I, I feel like these days it's being misused a little bit. So when I first started talking about circular economies, it was about the Lightning Network. And I, I would say um, the Lightning Network enables Bitcoin circular economies. And this is a term that's that's uh, originating from recycling, basically. So it's that you're using things and then you finish using it and you recycle it and it gets repurposed and you use it again. So when I was talking about Bitcoin circular economies, I was thinking that you would be able to earn and spend Bitcoin. But if it's an economy that's simply accepting Bitcoin and they're converting it to, uh, to dollars, or if they're simply hodling it, then it's not really a circular economy. It's a circular economy if these merchants that have adopted Bitcoin are then spending at other merchants too, and they're paying their, their workers in Bitcoin, right? It's, you're halfway there if you get simply merchant acceptance. But the way that I see people talking about today, it's just a conflation of merchant adoption uh, with uh, a circular economy. But to have a real circular economy, they need to pay their workers. Their workers got to pay their rent and then they have to buy their groceries and everything in bitcoin too how would you compare like bitcoin jungle to to bitcoin beach for instance it's hard to say i mean they're very different animals um bitcoin jungle i think it's uh, it, it's more merchant focused i guess uh, bitcoin beach just has a more uh, surfer friendly vibe it's like a community Whereas Bitcoin Jungle, it feels more like it's just a lot of merchants adopting Bitcoin simply because they, they need to take in, in money from a lot of the, um, the tourists and the foreigners living there. So it's more of a practicality in some way. But you know, Bitcoin Beach has definitely got more of a community vibe and hanging out and talking about Bitcoin. I was kind of curious. Do you think that Bitcoin Jungle could potentially like gain traction the way Bitcoin Beach did and kind of influence... Costa Rica's like Bitcoin policy in the same way that Bitcoin Beach did in El Salvador? Definitely. I mean, the the government is aware that it exists. And they I think some of them have gone to try it out and test the payments and experiment with it. But um, I would say all of these grassroots initiatives play a big part in the nation state adoption because it's, it's a proof of concept that this works. It can be scaled up and it keeps them honest from going into things like shitcoins. So I think it's good. Um, in the Central African Republic, it was purely a top-down approach and then that failed pretty badly. So there was no on-the-ground community. Some of uh, the Bitcoiners went there and they, they found that it was just a top-level thing. Like the government said, Bitcoin legal tender. And then they did the Sango coin, but there was actually no usage on the ground of Bitcoin. So that's kind of why they're able to fail. But these kind of communities sort of allow you to be anchored to Bitcoin, right? There, there are Bitcoin communities and there are Bitcoin economies. So they kind of keep you honest. Outside of Bitcoin Jungle or, or Bitcoin Beach, um, how would you say like in Mexico and Costa Rica, like the level of adoption is, is there places that you can actually use Bitcoin? Did you have a chance to spend it anywhere? Um, like, how, how did you see that? Yeah, so I visited um, the Bitcoin embassy in Mexico and they've been taking Bitcoin as payment for quite some time. So I, I bought a drink there. Um, and 
I would say in Mexico, there is not not like a branded thing like Bitcoin Beach or Bitcoin Jungle or Bitcoin Lake, but there is a massive amount of people using Bitcoin in Mexico. Um, it, it's kind of odd, like you probably have more people using Bitcoin in Mexico for payments than either other country <laughs> with those communities, but they just don't have this um, this package brand. And I think that's 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 interesting. It says something about Mexico but, and the opportunity for Bitcoin adoption in Mexico. But I would say it's probably in tens of thousands of people, maybe upwards of that, just using Bitcoin on a daily basis. In a lot of other Latin American countries, uh, there's not really like access to exchanges. I don't know if like AMLKYC is a barrier or if it's regulatory barriers that are stopping the exchanges from coming into the countries. And that results in like a huge peer-to-peer -peer market. In Costa Rica and Mexico, uh, do you know, like I know Mexico has Bitso, but do people use exchanges or are they buying mostly like in a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, fashion? I think Mexico, a lot of people just use Bitso but also the peer-to-peer the -peer options too. Um, but I, I think peer-to-peer -peer is probably going to be the dominant form of uh, Bitcoin exchange in LATAM simply because it's already an established norm. And um, like you said, there, there are barriers to big exchanges operating. And I think peer-to-peer -peer is better too because it's more, uh, it's more in the Bitcoin ethos because it's about transacting directly with another person um, without using a third party. So <laughs> I, I think, um, this is probably the way it's going to expand in LATAM. We're just going to see more peer-to-peer -peer apps and peer-to-peer -peer exchanges popping up over time to serve that market. And it's probably healthier too. It's better for the ecosystem because there's no risk of paper Bitcoin being printed with a peer-to-peer -peer exchange. You mentioned uh, Central African Republic and, and the failure of Bitcoin adoption. You also mentioned Ecuador as being another possible place that could adopt Bitcoin on a nation-state level. Um, how do you, it seems like Latin America is kind of leading the way. How do you see like other nations in Africa or Asia or other like developing emerging economy type areas um, in their uh, adoption level or, or potential for adoption, I guess I'd say. So, I mean, as a company, as Jan3, we're interested to support countries around the world and Bitcoiners in all these countries to uh, work on that nation state adoption. Um, the work we do is not possible without people on the ground everywhere. We need those boots on the ground to make introductions, make connections, and we're keen to support all these initiatives. I think we have a call, our director of operations is lining up a call with the Mano Project in Ethiopia next week. We haven't had a sync with them some time, so we have to touch base again. But um, I would say the bulk of our focus right now is simply in LATAM because it's so ripe for adoption. You have the perfect storm of conditions. You have these Bitcoin communities on the ground. You have already countries looking at Bitcoin in terms of policy. Um, Bitcoin is becoming a topic for politicians as they're working towards re-election re as part of their platform and they have to discuss about it. And we're also trying to push that issue too uh, as a key topic. But um, yeah, LATAM it simply has a lot of need. It has all the right conditions. It has a lot of need too. If you look at countries like Venezuela, Argentina, there's a, a large tract of adoption of Bitcoin and, and stablecoins like Tether too. It's very commonly used as a medium of exchange and a unit of account. So I think uh, there's this perfect storm brewing in LATAM. So I think that ends up drawing us there and that makes it the bulk of our focus. But we are trying to work with uh, communities around the world everywhere to 
push this nation state adoption. I know the focus for you guys in nation state adoption has been more like in the developing world, but um, recently uh, Gary Gensler of the SEC um, went on TV and, and was getting grilled by Congress about crypto. And um, it seems like there's like this operation choke point where like the U.S. authorities are kind of trying to cut the on and off ramps to crypto companies um, in the fiat world. And it seems kind of like Europe is following this kind of regulatory stance to make it more restrictive. Um, do you see any hope in the West for nation state adoption? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, it does seem a bit futile to to work on that, but there are groups in the U.S. actively trying to uh, push for Bitcoin adoption, and there are senators in the U.S. Uh, Cynthia Lemus is one of them that are seemingly voices of reason in this uh, um, pool of uh, chaos and confusion. But um, for the most part, it's it's challenging, and I would say it will be challenging until it's suddenly not challenging. So they're going to not embrace Bitcoin. They're going to try to put forth archaic, uh, backwards thinking regulations, you know, limiting mining or uh, rationing energy to miners or banning self-hosted wallets. They're going to do all these things until one day they suddenly can't because Bitcoin is information. You can't really stop information. Even in China, where information is tightly locked down, they still have very low rates of adoption of their CBDC. So it's inevitable that we're going to move to a Bitcoin standard simply because Bitcoin is information, right? You can talk about all the other parts of Bitcoin, like 21 million cap, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin is information. You can remember the words, you can write them down on a piece of paper, you can send the transaction over radio, over blocks from satellite, whatever you want. Information is super porous, so it cannot be stopped. And if it cannot be stopped, then people will use it because portability is one of the most important parts of what makes money money. So you know, they'll try to do these things, but ultimately they'll fail. And when it fails, you'll have a violent snap back to Bitcoin adoption. And I think at that time, we'll start to pay more attention to you know, Europe and other countries in the West that will be keen to adopt Bitcoin. Now that El Salvador's passed their digital securities law, um, I guess it kind of paves the way forward for the volcano token, the volcano bond. Um, you mentioned that Ecuador and Costa Rica are both interested in a hydroelectric um, bond. Would both of those be kind of like similar to, to, to the volcano bond, I guess, like a mining revenue tokenized security kind of uh, investment? Um, it could be. Um, but I've done a lot of thinking about the structure of the Bitcoin bond since I first designed it in 2011, and the world has changed a lot too. Um, recently, I've been thinking maybe it doesn't need to be a token, right? You could do a traditional bond vehicle and still do that Bitcoin bond issuance. Of course, the tokenization and di digitization of it is going to be a benefit because then you have things like 24 trading, peer-to-peer uh, -peer trading, if it's done on liquid, and the dividend payouts would be able to be a lot smaller, right? You can pay out in USDT over liquid network and it would just cost a few cents. And the whole system that Blockstream built around that, Blockstream AMP, would enable that to be done very, very easily. So there are a lot of benefits, but if the digital securities component is a hindrance and it's challenging to get off the ground, I've been thinking you could just do it as a traditional instrument and still accomplish your goals, right? You can still do the coupon payouts through traditional means. 
um, you could still do a lot of it um, and not have to push for digital security. So it's really up to what to the countries want to do. They could push for a digital securities framework, or they could create an entity in El Salvador and domicile that entity issuing in there um, and use the Salvadoran digital securities laws. But you know, they, at the end of the day, the goal is start doing something with Bitcoin, accumulate a large war chest of Bitcoin, and start mining Bitcoin. So if the digital securities component is a blocker, then just do it the old-fashioned way, but you'll still get the benefits. As far as El Salvador's uh, volcano bond, is like how soon can you guess or estimate that that we could see it become a reality or is it still kind of like got a lot of red tape surrounding it well as you mentioned they passed the the laws already so they can do that issuance i believe it would be the ministry of finance or at least originally that was the plan but it's been a long time and i haven't um, talked to them about what their plans are so i can't really comment to that but they seem to have all the building blocks ready um, Bitfinex Securities has a license now, and it seems to be ready to go. But I would say the design of the bond probably has to be redone because it's two years old now. And it also depends on what their energy infrastructure looks like. They wanted to do um, uh, geothermal mining. And last I looked, like they needed a few years to build up some of that infrastructure still and get uh, more geothermal power online. So I'm really not sure what the state of the situation is right now and when they could do it, but it probably needs to be re-looked at or someone's probably doing that already. Um, Samson, is there anything that I haven't asked you about nation-state adoption that you feel is important for everyone to know? Maybe we can talk about how to help Gen3 um, and how to get involved. Um, yeah, please do. That comes up. Yeah, that comes up from time to time. Like Bitcoiners on the ground are saying, you know, how could we help? And... You know, you just have to reach out. Ultimately, democratic governments are supposed to be representative of the representative of the people, right? So you should be able to talk to your local politicians and network. And everyone is six degrees apart. So it's not hard to get some contact that knows somebody in the government, maybe a minister of finance or um, energy or something like that, and see if you can arrange a meeting. And you can tell them that you have friends doing this company called Jan3 and working on nation state adoption and we can arrange meetings and we can support that. So you can look at us as a resource. We are here to help you uh, talk to people and provide information, um, how-to guides, and just answer questions about Bitcoin and talk about what we're doing in other places as well. So we're a pool of, of resource and information at your disposal. Um, Samson, if people do want to reach out to you, how would they do so? Um, can you give us the website, the social media that they could follow and all that good stuff? Yep. Uh, so my Twitter is at Excelion. I, I'm pretty backed up on my DMs right now, um, but I'm working through that. Uh, if you at me publicly, I'll probably see that more like there's more high of a chance I'll see that. And then if you at Jan3com uh, or DM them, then someone will get back to you because we have a team behind that handle. And our website is jan3.com, which is not launched yet, but it's coming very soon, and there will be more information there. Well, Samson, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, explaining nation-state adoption to us. Thanks, Ricardo. It's been fun.